You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Good Saturday morning, good, good Saturday morning. It is January the 9th. Oh, my goodness, we're in a brand new year. We came through so much in 2020, and then 2021 is starting off with a bang. So I want to say Happy New Year to everybody. This is our first live episode here on Off the Shelf for for, for the brand new year. And we have a, a, a wonderful author that's going to be featured on today's show, going to talk about his book and excited to introduce him to you and his book and learn more about his his novel. So, But first I want to welcome you and I want to definitely thank our loyal listeners who've been with us for 15 years now. Oh my goodness, I can't believe we've been on the air this long, but thank you, thank you, thank you. And I want to drop this quote in, in, in your mind as before we launch uh, the 2020 off the shelf. The whole secret of a successful life is to find out what is one's destiny to do and then do it. The whole secret of a successful life is to find out what is one's destiny to do and then do it. And that's from Henry Ford. And I just want to tell you again, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show off the shelf. And welcome again to our January the 9th show this morning. Before we introduce to you our listener, I just want to let you know that if you're looking for quick tips and techniques to help you start this this year off right and to really, these are things you can do going forward throughout the rest of your physical experience, ways to practice daily love. Because I feel like we've forgotten what we are and we really keep searching searching for proof that we're loved. And one of the best ways to get there, a shortcut, is just to love ourselves. So this book, Awaken Blessings of Inner Love, and I brought this out in October of last year. I encourage you to go get a copy of it. These are small techniques you can do every day. We have to do things every day to help ourselves to awaken so we don't start drifting back in the fogs. So I encourage you to get a copy of Awaken Blessings of Inner Love. And, you know, last year I kept telling you guys, if you love mystery, if you value relationships, that book is a nonfiction book, Awaken Blessings of Inner Love. If you value relationships and you love a good, tight mystery, this is a novel. I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. And both books are available in ebook and in print format. If you go to the library or the bookstore, you don't see them, just ask the clerk that you want to get a copy of them by Denise Turney, and they can order it for you because both books, Awaken Blessings of Inner Love and Love Pour Over Me, are carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And drum roll. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And this morning's special off-the-shelf guest is Thomas Brigger. And Thomas, he's a writer. He, he loves to travel, and he's also an entrepreneur. He's worked in construction, real estate, and as a corporate executive. He's written short stories and created material as an instructional writer. And from his home in Southwest Ohio, he he also writes larger fiction. And he's the author of the novel Beyond the Higher Ground, which we're going to dig into today. And this is a novel set in the Midwest, and it centers around drug trafficking. Actually, the higher ground, I think his 
back and I was the one that deals with the PTSDs. I know there's the opioid addiction that comes up and beyond the higher ground. And you can check Thomas out, and I encourage you to check Thomas Bricker. I want to spell his last name for you. It's B. R-I-G-G-E-R, B-R-I-G-G-E-R. You can check him out online at beyondthehigherground.com, and it's spelled just the way it sounds, B-E-Y-O-N-D-T-H-E-H-I-G-H-E-R-G-R-O-U-N-D.com, beyondthehigherground.com. We are just so honored to have Thomas here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Thomas. Well, thank you. Good morning. So so happy to have you here with us today. I know I, I I was born in Dayton, Ohio. So whenever I see Ohio, that always like I mean I didn't grow grew up in uh, later in Tennessee, but that always makes me ah oh, there's another Ohioan. So it is. Oh, I'm, I'm in I'm in Waynesville, just south of Dayton. Oh okay, okay. So see, and it's just these are small towns. These are like it's, Ohio to me is like Indiana. These little small towns that a lot of people never even heard of, but. It's just a, it's a pleasure to have you here with us on Off the Shelf, so thank you for joining. Uh, the first few questions I'm going to ask you, Thomas, I ask every guest who comes on the show so I can give our listeners a little backstory on our authors before we jump into their books. So to kick it off, can you tell Off the Shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? <laughs> Actually, uh, fairly normal. I grew up in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, and lived in north of uh, Cincinnati for some time. And then I, uh, I spent uh, about 20 years on the East Coast. I got involved in, uh, in uh, a corporate uh, environment where it had me traveling around the country quite a bit, uh, very extensively for, for a lot of years. Uh, and that actually gave me a, kind of a, a different perspective or a good perspective of uh, American life. Uh, and I always got interested as I traveled um, on the differences and the similarities of people in our country, in the United States. Uh, in some cases, you can go to the, to the to one of the East Coast or the West Coast, and you find how people think there and how they act there, and you can go to Appalachia, and uh, it's a whole different world. Yet there are commonalities and there are similarities to everybody. So I, I always found that very interesting, trying to uh, understand what, what it is to be an American and what it is to be an American in a certain area. That's really what kind of inspired me to do a lot of writing. It's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Thomas. It's so interesting that you said that. We've had another guest on, and he had hitchhiked. He was actually an attorney. He, had, he But I said, yo, you sure you're an attorney? He was so free-spirited. He, he said, you know, he wouldn't recommend hitchhiking, but he just had this open, natural love for nature, just adventurous uh, spirit. And he said, almost identical to what you said. He said when he would travel to different parts of the country, it was almost like you were in another place. The people were so different. And I, I just think we, we all are we're almost like pack animals. One of us thinks something and the, that thought just grows, grows, grows in that area. Then you go to another area where somebody thinks something else and that thought grows, 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 and you feel like you're in a whole other place. Um, so was it, are you, did you grow up as an only child, a sense of travel, or your siblings like that as well? Have brothers and sisters? Yeah, we grew up. Uh, I grew up in a large family. There's seven of us, and uh, uh, my uh, my older brother uh, was, was a very successful uh, entrepreneur and engineer. Uh, he was uh, involved in the early days of uh, nuclear uh, uh, construction. Uh, my sister, older sister, is a teacher. Uh, I have uh, two other sisters. Uh, 
One uh, is is a uh, administrator, and the other uh, actually is a women's uh, uh, guidance counselor. So uh, you know, oh, we've all my... grown up pretty well. <laughs> yeah, so we yes. all. And I was the only one who who bounced around. Uh, I, I I spent three years in college, and then uh, in a kind of serious accident, and <laughs> ran out of money. So I ended up uh, starting out working as a construction worker and kind of worked my way through. I've done a lot of different things. I'm kind of like the guy who uh, never knew what he wants to do when he grows up. <laughs> I'm still oh, but then now there. you are as a writer. As a, but you, you, you have so many different experiences in your travels. I can only imagine how much material that makes for a great novel. So before we get to talking about Beyond the Higher Ground, what did you want to be? You said you bounced around when you did when you were a child and you started dreaming, maybe seven, eight, nine years old, and you said, when I grew up, that's what I want to be. What What was your dream? What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, this is, this is funny to say right now, but I want to be a writer. Oh, awesome. And uh, wow. I, I really, I, I, I got into writing. I never took it real seriously. Uh, for years, I have a whole collection of short stories, and I used to write short stories and send them to my older sister. And uh, she encouraged me for years to publish something. And as I started slowing down in business, I thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do this. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, she passed away before she ever got to read it. So. What would make, why did you, what, I'm just curious for our listeners themselves who might want to be a writer and they're going down a, another path. What made you decide, I'm not going to go after writing, I'm going to, I'm going to get a job doing something else? Uh, I was hungry. <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, I had I had to eat. You know, so uh, so I just started out. Uh, but I've always been kind of a hard worker and, and diligent. So I I was able to work my way up and, and actually have a good life. So who? But I always what? did. I always no, did enjoy writing. I always did. I used to write short, these short stories, and uh, when my sister passed away, she had a whole collection of them there. So uh, we'll probably publish all those one of these days too. Wow. Who or what, who, was it your sister? Who or what inspired you to pursue writing and burst your love for books? Was that your sister? Actually, it was my mother. Uh, she always was an avid reader, and uh, she just got me interested in reading when I was very young, and I always loved uh, fiction. I can remember when, when my favorite book when I was young was Huckleberry Finn, and she had bought it for me for Christmas one year. Uh, and and lastly, before we get into the writing more, I'm curious, what type of work did you do as a corporate executive? That's a very demanding, very demanding. <laughs> when, when you say when you say corporate I, executive, I think somebody who never has any free time. Well, <laughs> actually, uh, I I had enough free time, but it, it, it's a stressful job, and I, I would never want to go back to it. But I was working for a a large, a very large company. Uh, running a division for them in Philadelphia, and uh, yeah, that is a, a stressful environment. Uh, but then, when the uh, when the recession came, that company disappeared, and so did I. So, uh, and eventually, I just I started several other businesses, uh, sold them, uh, and I ended up uh, just decided just to write full time. Good for you. So then, after the corporate, before you started writing beyond the higher ground. Did you you worked as an instructional writer? Did you sort of well, actually, sort of yeah, I did that. I did that on, on a a freelance basis for uh, for some people who had asked me to. So that's another thing for our listeners. Uh, I like our listeners to gain entertainment, and those who 
themselves want to be writers. That's another step. Like uh, if you, we're right now going through not the best. Uh, a lot of people laid off. Um, you can, you might even while you're working a full-time job. To our listeners, go into freelance writing or technical writing or uh, like Thomas did, instruction, being an instructional writer, and then just kind of ease your way into becoming either a full-time novelist, script writer, or a writer of nonfiction books, and it might blend in some public speaking to uh, generate some some more income as well. Now, where did the inspiration for Beyond the Higher Ground come from? What inspired this book? Some years ago, I was managing construction, large construction projects in Appalachia, and uh, I was hiring a lot of people, and I, I just, I just absolutely fell in love with those people there in that area. It's just, it's just a gorgeous place. But I also saw something that was really tragic, and that's the, the opioid crisis, and which is, continues there now. Uh, it is a heartbreak, and I got to thinking, you know, I, I wanted to write something larger than a short story. And I thought I was fascinated with this whole concept of building a prison on a mountaintop, which is what the book is about. And uh, I also thought, you know, it's interesting how people is, are so much aware these days of the opioid crisis, but we only see it in the big cities. And what people don't realize is it is really becoming tragic in the rural America. Uh, and if you, you have a big city like even Dayton, Ohio here or or, or uh, Cleveland or New York, uh, there are many resources there to deal with it. You know, the police departments have their narcotics divisions and so forth. You go into rural America, and like a, like a Southwest Virginia, where this place, this book takes place, you've got a sheriff and a few de- deputies. They can't do anything. You know, <laughs> they're helpless. And these people are really in trouble because they're you know, high unemployment, uh, a lot of pressure to, to get into the drugs, and uh, very little resource to get off the drugs. And it's a heartbreak. So I thought I'd like, to, I'd like to present that. I'd like to create some awareness of that. But I wanted to do it in a sensitive fashion, so I put it into a novel. Where did, where, for our listeners who might not be real familiar with the Appalachia, that area, can you describe, um, can you just give a, 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 of the area itself, are these like small towns with maybe 500 people in them? Maybe yeah, yeah. They're, diners? There's no big business. It's a diner. There's a hardware store. Is it? You uh, got it. Just for our listeners, describe like these. Yeah, there's the a town. The the, the town uh, Low Creek, which is the town that we have in in the book, uh, they have one uh, two diners. You know, one's fancy and one is uh, uh, is the uh, one similar to one that I I had experienced when I was in the area, where they have the special uh, of the day at lunchtime. It's like five dollars, and the same special comes out. <laughs> At, at six o'clock, and it's six dollars. You know, uh, five traffic lights. One don't work, of course. You know, it's it, it, it's a really charming area, and uh, uh, but there's there's there is a, a a tragic element to it too, because ever since the coal mines closed in those areas, and in the, the, in industry came in, and industry went back out again. Uh, it's such high unemployment, and and you know people really don't know what to do. So so many of them turn to drugs. Uh, and then before we, I ask you to give an overview of the book itself, I just have, have to ask you this. And we don't hear so much about the op- opioid crisis. I, I used to live down in Atlanta, and they, they said it was really, really bad. But it's hidden 
So if you go if you go through like even the cities, the, the, the homes look beautiful. Everything looks fine from the outside. You have no idea that this problem is there. You, 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 is it this way? And the, you go, if you drove through the town that the beyond the higher ground is looking is in set in, would you not? Would you think, oh, this is just a small, quiet town? It's just oh, I love yeah. the you take, it's peaceful. Uh, it's out in nature. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, you, you think it was a, a, a vacation town or something, you know? But you, you, you would never, you would never dream what was going on behind the doors there. How for this town, and then in your research, uh, and did you research the opioid crisis more and larger? Was it that in, that much interest? Like how? And it just seems hidden. I don't hear hear a lot of people. We know a lot of uh, pharmaceutical companies. Some of them have gotten their hands slapped uh, 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 with lawsuits. Um, how do you get this? Are we talking heroin? Or are we talking prescription drugs? With the with, with well, on the, beyond the higher ground. In in this area, the area that that we're talking about right now, uh, it was uh, you just hit it right on the head. The drug companies really are the villain there because they they were telling uh, there was a number of books about this, but they were telling doctors that you know these drugs are not uh, habit forming, they're, they're not addictive and. Doctors were giving them out like candy, and that's what got it started. And then once people started uh, getting hooked on it, then you had the, uh, the illegal dealers uh, getting involved. So it started out with pres- prescription drugs, then it went to meth, and, which is still prevalent there. But the worst thing that's happened is what they call black tar heroin, and that's a cheap form of heroin that's, uh, that comes from Mexico. And and uh, it's actually cheaper than the pills, and that probably is one of the biggest is the biggest problem they have there right now. People inject it, they smoke it, they snort it, they do everything with it. But uh, uh, they can go in, in the book. In the book, there's one one quote from the book which said you can go to downtown Low Creek and and buy buy a a, a dose of heroin for about as much as a hamburger. Oh my just god! Just as easily. Uh, and I saw that first. Yeah, I witnessed it firsthand. I mean, I, I, the book is written from my own experience. Oh, my goodness. But from the outside, everything looks fine. Can you give our listeners, yeah. we've been talking about it, wagging the listeners' appetites. Want, now you're like, I want to know more about this story. Can you give off-the-shelf listeners an overview of Beyond the Higher Ground? Sure, sure. Actually, uh, the book is about Tucker Mason. He's a project manager uh, for uh, a large construction company, and he's given a, a task to build a, a, a prison, a large prison, on a remote mountaintop in uh, southwest Virginia. And uh, he sees this as an opportunity to restart his life. He's had a lot of adversity up to that point. He thought this is a fresh start. It's in an area that had never been before, and he's looking forward to it. He... Uh, he rents a house on the mountain. There's a house that, that available on the mountain near the prison, and he's all he's he's ready to go. Uh, and it's not very long before he realizes he's encountered a world that he never dreamed existed. So yeah, as he's trying, as he's building this prison, uh, he goes through an awful lot of experiences. Uh, somebody's trying to get him out of his house. Uh, he realizes that this drug business has basically taken over the area. It's affecting his construction. It's affecting his house, and he eventually finds out that it's uh, putting him in, in a lot of peril. So, the book then it goes on with him trying to overcome his problems with, with uh, the, that he brought with him, his problems with the uh, the drug trade, 
and the difficulty he has building the prison. And it ends what? up with him being in, in extreme peril, and uh, uh, there's a lot going on with it. Why are why are they building a prison in this small town? But, I mean, it sounds like there's not enough people. What are you going to do? Imprison everybody in the town? Why are they Why are they building this prison? Well, in this, in this it's, a, it's, it's a state prison. Uh, actually, if you look at the uh, the front of the book, uh, the photograph I have there is construction of the Wallens Ridge uh, State Prison. The state of Virginia uh, put the prison there, number one, because it will offer some employment to the people from the area. And number two, they just needed more prisons. Now, if they put it on top of a mountain, if they cut the top of the mountain off, you put the prison there, uh, if somebody does escape, I don't know where they're going to go. <laughs> you know, the town is not there. The town is below the mountain. So uh, it, it's a good idea, actually, for uh, the state to put it there. It's not just for the people of that town. It's for prisoners from all over the state of Virginia. How much research did you do uh, in, to pull the material together? For Beyond the Higher Ground, and is the book in any in part based on any real life events? The book actually is almost entirely based on real life events. Um, most of the characters in the book are based on either a person or a combination of persons that I've met. The construction of the prison mirrors the construction of an actual prison I was involved in. Uh, everything that really is in the book is based on something that I actually witnessed and was involved in. Oh, my goodness. See, you're making this beyond the higher ground. This is what I love about the, these interviews. As as listeners, you, the authors answer the questions. This is something you really can almost only do in an interview. The reader gets more and more interested in the story. I, I've had I've had just a few authors come on here who didn't really want to talk about their books much, like, if they don't say anything, it'll create intrigue. And I'm like, no, the more you talk, you don't have to re- reveal everything and the key points. But that actually makes the reader more interested the more you talk about the story, but without giving away, you know, the key the key uh, parts of the story. But if you can introduce us, we, talk, we talked about Tucker Mason. He's, he's, he's a construction company project manager. He, he's starting to build. Uh, this prison, and, he, and then he's becoming aware of this opioid crisis, and then, as you said, meth, or, and then the drug dealers in the area, which I'm sure is putting him in danger. But what's Tucker Mason like? Where is he from? What's his background like? What's What are his motivations? What's driving him? What's driving Tucker now is wanting uh, to restart his life. Uh, as a as a boy, now there are some flashbacks in the book, uh, which uh, you know I was very careful with because I'm not a big fan of flashbacks all the time. But uh, his life uh, as growing up was very troubled. His parents were alcoholics, and uh, yeah, it, it, he, at some point uh, he was felt responsible for the death of his brother when he was seven years old. So he went through he went through childhood. The father left. Disappeared, and he ended up being very, very successful in another town, and just left the family alone. He grew up with his alcoholic mother. Ended up having to live with his uh, his grandparents. It was a very difficult life. Well, then he once he got out of college and was doing well, he got married, uh, and then unfortunately, after a few years, his wife tragically was killed. That that's where Tucker has that's the burden that he carries with him. That's his demons, as they call them. And that's what he was trying to get past when he started the building. He's a, he's got an experienced builder now, and he's been building large large uh, projects and so forth. He just sees this prison as an opportunity to just start over again. 
but so is, is he from the? Is, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, he grew up in Ohio. Oh, so he's not from he's not from this small town. He he just sort of stumbled into this area, or he learned about this project, and he moved well, here. Now he's yeah, probably. Well, Large construction companies will, will go, you know, they travel all over the country. You know, there's, there's, there's not real resources to build a prison this size. This prison has 500 cells. There's, there's no resource in the area itself, so you, they have to travel into to build these things. Um, it, it takes about four, no, there's about four or 500 workers on these things. You know, you, you, can't, you can't get that from that area. My heart is going out to the people of this town. The how this do you show in anywhere in this beyond the higher ground what this town was like, what any of the people were like before this opioid crisis hit, and then what it's now becoming, or do you just jump right in with where it is? At, no, at I have a lot of history. I, actually, I have a whole history. There's a whole chapter on the history of, of the, the mountain itself and the town and the evolution of it and how it came about. Uh, I also have a history. There's a family involved. Uh, which which was uh, the kind of the nobility of uh, of, of uh, moonshining. Moonshining was big in the area, and this family were uh, were moonshiners for a hundred years. Uh, and people in the town knew them, respected them, went to church with them, and so forth. But uh, eventually, it diminished, and they went from moonshining to drug dealing. Uh, and that that kind of threads through the, the history. But yeah, there is a whole history in the book about the uh, the evolution of the town and of the mountain itself. How things came about. And this is a Going real always, town, or you? This is a fictional town based on a real town. It's a fictional town based on a real town. I did not want to use a real town because I didn't want to cast them in any kind of a bad light, you know. So, so I wrote a, a okay. fictional town based very, very, very much on a, on a, a lot of similarity to the, the town that I was in. What is Tucker? Doing what is Tucker Mason doing at the start of Beyond the Higher Ground? Is, is he is he at the construction site when the story opens? What's he doing uh, at the beginning of the story? Yeah, it opens up uh, where he is renting this house and uh, reflecting on what how his life has been and looking forward to restarting his life. He goes to the site. The, uh, there's no building there yet, you know, and he gets his his, uh, his information that he needs and you know, talks with his superintendent. Then he has to go back to his home office. But when he's driving back to his home office, somebody follows him, runs him off the road, and he gets very seriously injured, and that slows him down a bit. So uh, that's the start of his problems. Who but is once he's, Cletus? Who is Cletus, Cletus Wellman? Uh, Cletus, Cletus is good, but uh, he, he has a problem. But Cletus is a uh, an entrepreneur in the area. Uh, he's the guy who he owns a lot of buildings and so forth, a lot of uh, the apartments where people are going to live in. Uh, he uh, he owns several uh, automobile dealerships, which automobile dealerships in that area are they're kind of funny to look at because you know you might see two dozen cars out front. But uh, he's 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 just kind of a, a go getter. He's a little bit of a of a character, uh, in, in the sense that he's very nervous and, uh, and loves to pat himself on the back. But uh, he's a, he's just the guy who owns the house that uh, that Tucker moves into, and uh, he's kind of threads himself all the way through the story. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say he's a villain. Can you answer? <laughs> well, no, he's, he's all right. He's, oh, he's, he's all, all right. He's, he's a, just a, 
He's just weird. <laughs> He's based he on somebody into- I met down there, and I liked, I liked a lot, actually. So. It, it, and I find it amazing that, and it's very interesting that these, the story is based on most real-life experiences you actually had, the, uh, the, the ones that take place in Beyond the Higher Ground. But can you introduce us to the, uh, some of the book's other major and minor characters, really uh, focusing on not only their, their their personality quirks, but what's driving them? What what, what are their major like motivations? Uh, I find those very those motivations of characters uh, really help a, a story to me to develop. What is really driving this person? If you could just introduce well, us to some of the other major minor characters. We'll start with my favorite, and uh, nothing is driving him. That's Cecil. Cecil uh, is—he uh, grew up in, in in his own little world, and has never seen very much besides the side of that mountain. But he lives across the street from across the road from uh, where Tucker is, and in his own way, has an awful lot of wisdom that comes out. He's a storyteller. Uh, he just loves to to uh, to gossip. And he goes out into the town every so often and comes back out. But uh, it, everything what I have in there actually a quote from the book. Is uh, Euclidus only knows he has no 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 friends, no enemies, no problems. He sees the world through his own little knothole, and uh, but through that little knothole, he's absorbed a lot and comes up with some some pretty good good uh, examples. Other people in the book, uh, you've got the construction people uh, uh, who are building the building, and they're driven in a way just because they're, they're builders. They want to get things done, but Jake shows up, and Jake is driven because. He knows these drug dealers are the ones who got his son hooked on drugs and almost got him killed. Mm. And he's out after trying to find them. He ends up, because, uh, because uh, uh, Mason has had so many problems with him, he gets Mason to work with him, and they actually follow these people around and uh, end up getting in a lot of trouble with him. And then How Sally. The... Sal- Sally is the big-hearted woman who uh, makes everybody happy in the town. You know, she shows up. She's Cletus' wife, but she has a totally different personality. And uh, she's just she's kind of like the charming person of the book. How does how so? How do Jake? How how do how do Jake and uh, uh, Tucker? How do they meet again? Do they work together? Well, actually, uh, the the, uh, the the town uh, the, the uh, DEA has sent somebody in to talk to all the businesses in the area to get them to have a better awareness of the drug problem and to uh, participate together. Because Tucker is working for the largest company who was in the area, uh, he goes to this meeting with them and he meets Jake because Jake actually owns a, a uh, tool rental business for the area. And that's how uh, Jake, because he has, a tool, he has a tool rental business, he also has a way to, to track his tools <laughs> and uh, that's what he's doing. He tracks the uh, the uh, with the deal positioning device. He tracks the drug dealers that way. Um, so these, uh, so here at the beginning, beyond the higher ground, the opioid crisis is started by somebody goes to a doctor. They have an injury, a surgery, and they're told here the prescription. It has opioids. You're not going to get addicted, and then they do get addicted, and then it goes. It, it spirals. It spirals from there. How how many drug dealers are in this small town, and 
are are they from the town itself? I don't know why it's hard for me when I think of 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 um, you, you hear a town with drug dealers or whatever. I always see a big city. It's hard to see, uh, maybe just for me, a city with 500 or fewer people in it. With this bad of a problem, uh, you you think, where are these people coming from? Are the drug dealers, did they grow up in this town? Are they just coming in because they see an opportunity to make money and they won't have that much competition like they'd have in a big city? Where Where are they coming from? Uh, two things. Uh, number one, the uh, most of the people who are selling pills are selling them so they can afford their own pills. Uh, they get addicted, and then they, they find a, a source, and uh, then they start tapping that source, and they find other people who are addicted. But as far as the, the heroin and the more sophisticated drugs coming in, you actually have people from uh, outside the area who come in and find out who, you know, uh, they actually set up a market, more or less. And, and the strange thing is, it's a very sophisticated operation that, that comes into these areas. Uh, they come from the Mexican cartels. The person who's in charge of this one in, in this book is a woman named Carlotta, uh, and uh, and she uh, she orchestrates everything uh, from she from uh, right on the site. She comes in uh, as a as a nurse or as a uh, practitioner or. As a secretary, nobody knows that she's actually running the show right now. She recruits people, gets them working, and then she leaves. But when she leaves, anybody who could recognize her is left in the dirt. And they're dead. Uh, and that's based on a person that I actually heard about, too. So, so uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of mystery involved here. Most of these people no, in these things are, are just, they're just uh, country people who are addicted to drugs and Want to be able to afford the drugs? Is is it is the issue, is the problem? We know it's a big problem, and my heart goes out to people, especially families and mothers and fathers who have to bury their kids. Is it is it getting better? You know, the spotlight was put on it with these pharmaceutical companies, and again, some of them really got hit. Some, not many, pretty hard with uh, financially. Um, is it getting better, or is the problem still? It's just hidden, but it's still really bad. It's still really bad. Uh, when I was working down there uh, over the period of a few years, you know, because I, I was in and out of the area, but I had probably met you know several hundred people, uh, uh, including the ones who were working for me. I would say that if you go down into one of those towns and ask anybody in the street if they know somebody who's on drugs, they'll say, "Yeah, I lost my cousin." Uh, my brother died. You know, somebody, almost everybody you talk to, has talked to, has known or or was close to someone who either was addicted or dead, and that's tragic. I mean, that's that is that. What I, I even when I say that, I get shocked. You know. Yeah, that is. Now, why did you decide to decide to use a, a prison construction as the story's metaphorical background? What, what, why that choice? Well, the the concept there is that uh, recovery is not an end game. That's what I was thinking. Because I, 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 I've I've known people they recover from drugs or recover from alcoholism or recover from grief or 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 an injury or something like that. And instead of moving on, they tend to to, to shut down. You know, they just kind of hide from hide from their problems and so forth. And uh, I've seen that and seen it personally with people in my own extended family too. So uh, I, I, I kind of want to head that theme when I say beyond the higher ground, 
that it's not an end game when you when you get over your grief or, or get over your drug addiction. If you talk to uh, people who have a drug addiction, they don't say I recovered. They say I am recovering because it's continuing. And so the way I, I looked at it is there's two ways that you can recover. You can recover and then keep going and keep going and keep going, and that's just a part of your life. Or you can shut down and say, you know, well, I'm afraid to go out now, or, or, or you know, I don't want to go near where, wherever that environment is, or I'm afraid to get close to somebody because I'm grieving so bad for the person I lost. So if you look at how the prison goes, as the, as the story goes on, the prison keeps getting built more and more. And at the end of the uh, of the book, uh, the highest point in the area has a prison on it, and that's what happens. Sometimes we build our own prisons as we try to uh, escape adversity. Wow. There's there's a there's a quote from the book where Sally, when she was young, the father of the river was rising, and they were walking on a path to get up to the higher ground on the mountain. And uh, his father, she said, well, you know, why do people stay down there by the river? And his father answered, because it just don't matter, Sally. He says, you can get away from the river when it's rising and then fall off a cliff somewhere else, which down there you could. So that's really the idea. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I thank you for sharing that. Now, initially, you had set the story aside. Why did you, why did you, you start it and you said, you know what, you set it aside. So, number one, why did you? Think you know what? Let me put this to the side. And then, why did you decide to return to this novel and get the story published? Uh, well, I guess the short answer is I was busy. The funny thing is, uh, I was traveling a lot, and, and I was in Cleveland, Ohio, one night. And I, I've always read novels, you know. And when I was traveling, I would read uh, read a lot, you know, just to, uh, to pass the time on an airplane or stay out of the hotel bars. And uh, I finished the novel, and I thought, that's going to be the worst novel I ever read. I, I can do better than that. And I started writing that night, <laughs> and, uh, and and I finished it. But, but when I finished the book, I was extremely busy and didn't know much about publishing, so I just kind of set it aside. And then my sister one day said, you never let me read your book. And I, so I pulled it out, and uh, then we had a – at the same time, we had a tragic uh, incident uh, over, over drugs with uh, somebody in our extended family. And I thought, you know, it's time to expose this thing. So they uh, pulled it out. I got it edited, and we got it published. Oh, well, good for you. Now, is it your hope? Is it your hope, Thomas, to that beyond the higher ground? And the story—it sounds like a, a mystery, a, 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 a eye-opening. I mean, just hearing you talk about it is like I got to read this story. Now, is it your hope that beyond the higher ground will put more focus? on the opioid problem in America, and, and people juggle with so, I mean, people deal with so many different issues. In the one lifetime, you might deal with five to ten issues, and somehow some just get buried. And the drug issue, whether it's in a big city or a small town, I don't know, it's, it's sad if that's becoming like we just expect it, so nobody really talks about it, but it just tears up families. It just... It's devastating now. But is it your hope that beyond the higher ground that it puts more focus on the opioid problem in America and encourage people uh, to take the right action from, from family members to caretakers to take the right action to help help users and, and, and to stop the crisis? Is that your hope behind uh, the focus of beyond the higher ground? Absolutely. Uh, one of my characters uh, that, that I, I failed to mention before was Melanie, and Melanie is uh, addicted to heroin, uh, and 
she's and we we follow her struggle as she goes on and uh, uh Mason actually helps her uh, to get off of the uh off the drugs but she ends up uh getting getting kind of uh, almost killed by a drug dealer and uh you see just how how brutal these people are uh and that's just with two things I want to expose number one is awareness of the problem itself but also the abject brutality of of the people who are bringing these drugs to the to the area i mean they're they're uh it's it's frightening. They think nothing of killing someone, you know. They, they sell these things to children, you know. And as, you know that's the tragic part to me, is that do you not see what this is doing to a person? If you see somebody who's had addiction to meth or any drug, it's like you do a before and after picture. It's like you can't. Well, are you not even human to be able to continue to participate in this? Selling these drugs, does money mean that much to you? Oh my God! There are like so many other ways you could go out and earn money. This is, it, it's just, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I was involved in an organization when I lived in Pennsylvania, and it was a drug and alcohol intervention program. And they said the cycles of of drugs. They've been with us for centuries, and one drug will just, uh, it, it'll take prominence, and then it'll go down, and another drug come up, and and uh, there has to be a way to get to, to the root of what the problem is so we can solve it. But we definitely don't need pharmaceutical companies helping people get addicted. We definitely don't don't need that, you know, because you go for a surgery and you go get painkillers, and then you're like, now you got a lifetime problem to deal with on your on your hands. What it's is, it's is there anybody? No, I, I, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Oh. Uh, it, it's interesting to, to see how that cycle works. Uh, about uh, 15 years ago, I had a surgery uh, on a shoulder or something, and, and uh, they gave me uh, 60 pills. I'm not a pill taker, so I, they, I didn't take them. But they gave me 60 uh, uh, OxyContin, and uh, I said, I'm not going to take all that. And then I had another surgery uh, five years later, and they gave me about 20 of them. And I had another surgery two years ago, and they gave me 12. So at least they're starting to understand that, you know, uh, if you give too many of these pills to somebody, that's what was happening. Doctors were giving just giving, testing these things out like candy. So in Ohio right, Ohio right now, it's really difficult to, to get a painkiller. I mean, they really have everything. So there is, there is a lot going on. What people don't realize is you take away one drug, you make another drug. Meth is yes. being manufactured all over the country. You know? Yes. Uh, um, um, is there anybody in town – other than Thomas and Jake, and Jake has a very personal reason to want to shut this down, is there anybody else in town who is saying we got to come against this? And they're taking the actions to try to get people help, get people therapy, or, or the help that they need, and try to shut this, the drug dealers down. Is there anybody else who's even making this effort? No. Uh, no, that, that's a problem. That there's, There is no... There's no concerted effort in the area. Now, in the book, which is a reflection of, of, uh, of what we experience, uh, the, uh, the construction people are really on their site, are, are doing an awful lot trying to prevent it. Casey, who is the uh, superintendent, he just says, I've never seen anything like this. But they, they're testing people, and, they're, they're, uh, 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 and this really happens now with large companies where they have random testing and, and kind of weed out the, 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 uh, the bad ones. The problem in these rural areas is you don't have that big population, you don't have the capability of having the resources. So you'll find 
people right here in Ohio, we we find people on farms. You know, whole families are getting into drugs. Uh, I just said uh, there was last year. This is what in the Dayton Daily News. Last year, there was in, in Central Ohio, uh, two Amish boys were caught delivering uh, heroin. <laughs> so yeah, it's it, it's just shocking. And I, you know, I, I don't I don't have an answer for it, but I think it's good for people to know about it. You know what? I, I, this mindset of it's not happening to me. Who cares? Is that's that that we got to care about each other. We have to, even if like you like it's not going on in my family, or you don't know it is, or it's not happening to me. We have to care about each other. We have to, even if we're not experiencing something. What, even if it's a small thing, what can I do to help you? What can I do? I just, we have to help each other. How much did your well, prior work experience help you as you were developing the book's characters? You wrote short stories when you were younger. You you, you said you you knew when you were a kid you wanted to be a writer, although you went into construction work and you worked as a corporate executive. But how much did all of that experience, all your travels, how much did that help you as you developed the characters in Beyond the Higher Ground? Oh, infinitely. I, uh, it's, I've always been interested in people. You know, and as I said before, I, the differences and the similarities of people in different areas. Uh, and I, I always had a, had a deep interest on, you know, what makes people tick. So that perspective and seeing people in all different areas I think is immeasurable. Uh, you know, when you get to develop a character and you think of somebody that you've met, uh, it's easy to make up something. But, you know, it's not that easy to really put down in writing somebody who's real. But, but when you do that, the character does become real. And what I've found is once you've done that, if you've met enough people, once you start getting a concept of a character, it'll start to develop itself. You know, you're writing it, but that character starts coming to life for you. Yeah, so it, it's, uh, it's just being around people. It does it, I think, for me anyway. And your characters sound so well-rounded. Did you go to any – have you all – you just started writing, like, short stories, or did you go to writers' conferences? Did you take any uh, college writing courses to learn character development, story development, or is it something you just sat down and started writing novels and somehow it's just worked out for you? No, actually, I, I majored in English literature uh, uh, for the three years I was in college, and I, I took a lot of courses. And when I was younger, I did go to some conferences and so forth. You know, but uh, uh, and I, I ever so often I would get involved in, you know, one of these uh, uh, writers' uh, seminars and so forth. But uh, really, never got that serious about it. You know, one thing when you talked about how you came up the the book's title, the meaning behind the book's title. Whenever you do interviews, I would really encourage you to share that. That is so powerful when you talk about beyond the higher ground, what, how you came up with the concept uh, for that particular title. Had you heard that term before, or it was you just you took the, what it meant to you and you just came up with that title? Or have you heard that somebody say that before? Beyond no, the higher ground. No, I, I I had the the concept of the higher ground and uh, beyond. I, you know, you're driving in the car trying to think, what am I going to do for a title here? You know, and, and it, it finally it, it settled in. Uh, I found the book I'm writing right now. I just want to come up with a title for it. You know, it. It takes a while to do that. You know, you have to keep thinking of what your concept is. 
What have readers been saying about Beyond the Higher Ground? Well, I've got a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, good reviews. Uh, I have one here. They've been saying it's masterfully written, that the characters are, are very real. Uh, I have uh, a reviews. Uh, I'm really getting very excellent reviews. Uh, also, that the uh, the book is so well structured, which makes me happy. And uh, uh, I have one here. I was going to read to you very quickly. If you bear with me, uh, she says. Uh, she says, uh, the eloquent prose is believable, chilling at times, and kept me spellbound. His excellent descriptions left me with visions of Bright's Mountain and its inhabitants. Um, so the mystery and suspense are my favorite aspects of the story. Yeah, so I'm getting some pretty good reviews out of it. That's a review for the uh, online book club. You know what? I, I, you, this story is so timely. Uh, the, 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 the heart of it, like some of the best novels, are, are unfortunate. But it's a story, I think, that, that, that needs to be, be told. Now, we talked a little bit about how you develop your characters and you base them in part off of, off of maybe a real-life person, and then the, char- the character, the writing, just, the character just starts to develop almost organically. But when it comes to actually putting a novel together, and I can tell you personally, for me, I would just when I started, I would just sit down and start writing, and it would take me so long sometimes to finish a novel and I'd edit, 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 edit. And then a recent novel I worked on, I little, I did an outline and it, I, I got it knocked out really, really fast. What writing process do you follow, Thomas, when you when you sit down and you say, you're working on a new novel now and I want you to share with us briefly about that book as well, but what's the writing process you follow when an idea for a story pops into your head? How do you get it from point A to point Z? I'm not really very good at uh, at outlining. I have a, a basic outline that I work with, uh, and it's kind of funny because I was talking to someone the other day. I said, I think the novel first. <laughs> you know, I, I roll it around. I get the, the story in my mind, and then I start working on characters and just start writing. And then, like you said, uh, same as you, I'm writing and editing. Write it and edit it. Edit and edit it, you know, and, uh, and it does. It takes a long time. So I really am not a very good structuralist as far as uh, uh, making the uh, the outline and so forth. But I do, you know, it's just I, I, I keep working on my concept, and before I even start to write at all, and I, I'm quirky too because I'll get I'll get inspired to something coming to my head and I'll sit down. It's not unusual to find me two o'clock in the morning writing. So. You have the time now. You retired. You're a full-time writer. So good for you. You don't have to. You don't have to juggle and, and write and say, oh, i got to get up and go to my job, because a lot of writers, including some best-selling authors, I know uh, I love Joyce Carol Oates, uh, her writing. She she worked at Princeton University uh, teaching writing for years. So did Toni Morrison. So you, these are people, New York Times, some best-selling authors, but they have another job. I know another author out of Texas, she wrote romance novels, and she was a New York Times best-selling author, but she also worked as a nurse. So I mean, it's possible for our listeners who might have a full-time job. You can still write those engaging, those novels like Beyond the Higher Ground if you have to and, and, and juggle a job until you your, your book writing career really takes off, which kind of leads into my next question. And this is one I typically ask our guests because I like to, again, explore the book and also help our listeners who themselves 
might now or in the future want to write a novel. Can you, Thomas, share three uh, to four steps that you've taken that you found to be effective at getting the word out about your books? Yeah, I, I learned a lot about that, too. Uh, I actually uh, hired the Amora Agency uh, in L.A. Uh, to uh, to promote the book, and there are some good – and I'm using a different book promoter on the uh, on my new book. Uh, if you do that early, uh, before you even have it published, you, you get started on getting the uh, the pre-work done uh, and getting your online – and social media is so important these days, <laughs> and I need to get better at it, but – <clears throat> you, you start with that. Start with your getting your reviews as, as early as possible. The sooner you get it done, the, the better. Because really, when, as you know, once you you get a book out, uh, you have like a, a very short short time to get that thing involved uh, in the market uh, because you have so much competition. So many things are coming out, and you talk to to uh, publishers right now, they're they're swamped because so many people have had time. They sit down and finally write that novel or write that how-to book or the cookbook. And, uh, so there's so much going on right now, but the earlier the better. The sooner the better. The other thing I say is edit, edit, edit. You know, you you got to have it perfect before you take it out. And and a professional editor, because I mean, even I got to tell you, even with a professional editor and better beta readers, and sometimes I I, I go back and I'm like, ah, oh, I can't believe I didn't see that. Uh, That's why. You know, as an author, sometimes once you get it out, and I've heard actors say this, I've heard singers, once you get it out and you put all your effort into it, don't go back and read it again. <laughs> Just leave it alone. Yeah, that's because a... you will find something, and you're like, oh, my God, why didn't I notice that? <laughs> it's kind of funny because somebody asked me uh, in an inter- interview to uh, to read an excerpt from the book, and I was going through the book trying to find it, and I thought, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> this is killing me, you know. And then as a, as a person who created the material, you're always real hard on it. You're, just like we tend oh, to yeah, be hard yeah. on ourselves, we tend to be hard on oh. ourselves. And anything we create, we always like, there's a spot right there, or there's a little, there's oh, something yeah. wrong right there. Now, you said you're working on a new book. Can you, as we come down to like the last five minutes in a day show, can you tell our listeners what, uh, give us a glimpse into your, your next book that you're working on and when we can expect to see it on the market? It's uh it's coming out of editing right now, as a matter of fact, but uh it's called The Quiet and the Darkness and uh it takes place in the Midwest, uh and it's about two people, uh a retiring police chief who is suffering from uh a concealed PTSD problem and a young lady who goes through PTSD for a different reason. And how the two of them bond to solve some really serious problems that occur uh in the area. Uh so it's a it's a it's a mystery book. Uh, it takes place uh, in, in an area that a lot of people aren't familiar with, uh, and uh, uh, I think it's going to be good, though. So but it, and it, reveals, it, it, it reveals a lot about what people really go through with PTSD, and uh, it also uh, reveals a lot about the drug culture in the rural America, because they're not going to let that go either. Is it like a detective story? I mean, that just popped into my mind. Is this going to be like a their, their detective team? working on uh, different crimes in the area. And that doesn't give away the story. I'm just. Yeah, no, actually it's, uh, they're, they're trying to solve uh, one crime. Uh, and the young lady who's suffering from the PTSD is, uh, has been accused of that crime. And what they're trying to do is get her unaccused. <laughs> so and it's not all police. It's, it's, 
it's her father. Uh, it's uh, it's people in the area working with her, uh, and uh, uh, so there's there's a number of characters in the in the book who are participating. Not necessarily a a really detective novel, although it follows the same uh, the same area, you know, the same uh, trail. Where does the inspiration for the quiet and the darkness come from? Actually, uh, I just noticing when I moved back here to Ohio. And I saw uh, the, the drug issue here. That was kind of bothering me. I thought maybe we ought to do something. And I wanted to write something about Ohio. You know, we don't see much about Ohio. And uh, so I'm, I thought if I put something in that area, and I also had read an article about somebody who had been beaten and was suffering from PTSD, so I got looking into it. And I found out that, you know, I keep thinking PTSD is something that happens to military people who come back from wars. And it happens to people who recover from hard uh, surgery, you know, and it's, it's really it's a it's a tough thing that these people are going through hell, and and it, the, there's not a whole lot of treatment outside of the VA for people who suffer from it. So I thought it'd be interesting to expose that, and it gives a good storyline. I love your stories. Oh my goodness! Just listening to you talk, and then the, 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 you just get like real life gritty material to really create your stories from. Where can off the shelf listeners? Get a copy of Beyond the Higher Ground. Oh, and when when, well, when is your when is when is um your your next book? You said it's an edit right now. The Quiet and the Darkness. When is that going to be out? We're targeting mid mid March to maybe early April. Okay, mid March to early. What can where can uh, uh listen when that when that book comes out as well? Where can listeners right now get a copy of Beyond the Higher Ground? Uh, any of the online book uh, bookstores have it, uh, uh, and the Rick and Mortar books uh, bookstores uh, have it in some areas. Uh, but if you go to that website that you mentioned before, it has a purchase uh, tab in there. You can take you right to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Apple Books, anybody you want to go to. It's available in uh, in uh, uh, hardback or uh, paperback. Uh, it's uh, a digital copy, and there's an audible uh, book in there too. So any format you want, you can get right off of Amazon. Okay. Now, Thomas, we're coming down the home stretch. Do you have any other upcoming speaking engagements? We know a lot of people are doing things virtual. I'll be, I'll be glad when we can go to in-person book events again and connect with readers in person. But or do you have any other upcoming uh, speaking engagements? If so, can you tell us about maybe two to three of those, if you do? I really do. Yeah, I really don't have anything upcoming right now, just because of the uh, the pandemic. It's just it's hard to, to schedule anything, and uh, uh, and I have a uh, I have a family issue here. I'm taking care of, so <laughs> I'm kind of staying around the barn for a while. Okay. Now, also, if you're on any social media networks, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? You can find me on uh, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Twitter, it's uh, Brigger uh, underscore Thomas, and uh, Facebook is Thomas A. Brigger. I have so enjoyed, oh, you are like the, a wonderful author to kick off 2021 here with Off the Shelf. We have had the absolute pleasure. Off the Shelf has aired in so many different locations around the around the world, and we have had the pleasure of having Thomas Brigger kick us, kick us all for our first live interview for 2021, and he's the author of the book Beyond the Higher Ground. If you came in midstream, we're, we're over on iTunes. We are we are so many areas where people listen to 
off the shelf. If you came in midstream, no worries. Once the show finishes streaming, you can listen to it in the archives in its entirety. I just really enjoyed hearing the author, Thomas Brigger, talk about how he came up with that concept beyond the higher ground. And it's a novel set in the Midwest. Again, it centers around drug trafficking. And if you just listen to this interview, I don't know how you couldn't want to go get this book. And you can check Thomas out online at beyondthehigherground.com. It's it's spelled just the way it sounds, B-E-Y-O-N-D-T-H-E-H-I-G-H-E-R-G-R-O-U-N-D.com, beyondthehigherground.com. Go on over there and check Thomas Brigger out and learn more, even more about his book, Beyond the, Beyond the Higher Ground, and I encourage you to get a copy of the book. It sounds so, so interesting. Thank you, Thomas, for being here with us this morning. And I want to thank well, in thank our you. chat room. We we come on so many different places, but we uh, 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 and he just laughed. The, we had a, our guest who joined us in the chat room, and our guest who tune in over the phone. And so many different ways that people tune in to Off the Shelf. Thank you for being here with us on Off the Shelf this Saturday morning, January ninth, twenty twenty one. Thomas, I wish you the very very best. Thanking you again, and prayers for you and your family. To our listeners. Uh, I can't thank you enough for being here with us. Please tell everybody who loves books, who loves good stories, writers and authors who want to grow their audience. Tell them to catch Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time. New York City Time. Remember, you are amazing. You're incredible. You're phenomenal. Grow out and create. A wonderful day for yourself today. See you back here next Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thomas, I'll send you a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Thank you again. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye.